Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Psalm 132. It's a psalm that I confess I really hadn't paid that much attention to until the Lord laid it on my heart. Opinions differ as to the author of Psalm 132. Some believe the author was King David. But there are others who attribute it to King Solomon, David's son. But who wrote Psalm 132 is not as important as why it was written. The author's purpose was to express his seriousness about worship. And that's the point I want to bring out today in the text. The focus of this song is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And for the Jewish nation, God's people, it was the center of worship. When we look at the background of Psalm 132, we have to go to the time that the Ark of the Covenant was lost in battle to the Philistine because of the sin of the high priest Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that used their position to gain sexual pleasures and money. The Philistine kept the ark for seven months. But remember, it represented the presence of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So God calls an epidemic of mice, an epidemic of hemorrhoids on their bodies to break out. In doing so, the Philistines recognized that this was the hand of Yahweh, Israel God, so they made their mind to return the ark back to Israel. There was a lot of things involved in this, but they eventually took the ark to a place called Bethshemosh. Bethshemus, we get that idea from Bethlehem, were Jewish people, but they did something. I, I, I imagine they were so excited about the ark and it had been captured and there was returning after seven months that they violate the sanctity of the ark by looking inside it. And in doing so, 50,000 plus men died. At this event of all this death, People began to fear the ark. So the ark was taken to a place called Kirjim Jerish. And sometimes this place is called Jr. and we're going to get to that in a minute. And there it remained in Jr. for 20 years. During this 20 year period, the ark was all but forgotten. Remember now, it was the presence of God. So how can they forget the one thing that the nation had, the center of worship? Kind of goes with your prayer this morning, Deacon Taylor. But they had forgotten about the ark. But the desire to worship was renewed 
in a young man named David. David was a man that was serious about worship. So when he became king, he instituted a plan to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. David first built a temporary place on his property next to his house for the ark. But deep in his heart, he had a serious desire to build a permanent structure for the ark. But David was denied because he was a man of blood. Instead, God told David, you can't build it, but I'm going to let your son Solomon build it. And I want you to think about this. Because this probably disappointed David. I mean, this is my dream. I want to build this place for you. And you telling me that I can't build it. That my son is going to build it. David could have said, you on your own. But although disappointed, David nevertheless worked very, very hard to ensure that his son and that building project was successful. He did all he can. Some of you fathers can relate to this. He did all this he could to make sure that his son was going to be successful. He provided the material. He even got the contractor. He got all the people for the project well in advance, knowing that he wasn't going to get the credit for it. And the author of the song expressed how serious he was about worship when he makes a vow. Now, if you would join me as we look at our text, these selected verses in Psalm 132, verse 1. English Standard Version pens it this way. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardship he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one to Jacob. David spent the last days of his life making sure that the temple was going to be magnificent, Sister Kalea, because he had a purpose of worshiping a magnificent God. Now put it another way, he wanted to be glorious because he was going to worship a glorious God. But the hardship, the sacrifice, he endured was nothing compared to what the Lord had done for him. You see, David had been elevated from a little shepherd boy that wasn't even worthy for an interview of the kingship. All the way now to be the greatest king the nation of Israel had ever heard. So David was determined. He made up his mind that he was going to worship. And he was going to build a place of worship. So he vowed to the Lord, I'm going to give you my best. Verse 3. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelid until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David understood that there was no place that could house the Lord. But he was looking at what it represented. 
And the psalmist used three words. I will not twice. First he said about his house. Now a house represents a place of refuge and safety. It implies contentment. You know how it is when we want to go home, we just feel content when we get to our house. A bed is a place of physical renewal and it represents rest. The statement, I will not enter my house, is the statement of a writer's determination not to satisfy his emotional need. And the idea behind, I will not give sleep or slumber to my eyes eyelid is a statement of determination not to take care of my physical needs. Now make sure I get that right and make sure you understand it. A statement I would not hear in my house, a statement the right has determination not to satisfy his emotional needs. And a statement I will not give sleep or slumber is determination that I will not take care of my physical needs. But note verse 5, it said until. Now this word until stresses priority. Don't get me wrong, emotional needs and physical needs are very important. But the writer here says they are not as important as worship. His priority was God before self. Just go ahead and say ouch if you get hit. But how many times that we could have worshipped? Could have gathered into the house of the Lord. But we have some emotional baggage. And besides, to play hooky. How many times we maybe had a little headache? If we were going to work, we'd just take an exception and go on. But we use it as an excuse because our physical needs take priority. But whoever the right was had their priorities. God before self. You see, the ark was not in its proper place. A place that was dedicated for it. And the author was determined, I'm going to do something about it. Now, if the writer was David, it refers to David's desire to build the Lord a temple. If the writer was Solomon, it speaks of Solomon's gratefulness upon the completion of the temple. But regardless of whether it was Solomon, David, the writer exalts the people to join him in worship. In verse 7. And I want you to notice this before we get to it. The writer expresses his seriousness to worship with a twofold invitation. His seriousness to worship with a twofold invitation. Verse 7 starts out with this Let us. Not me. Let us. And this is something that happens every Sunday morning when we give the call invitation. It's not just for a few of us, it's for everybody who has decided they want to be a part 
of this fellowship, let us. When it's time to sing or to read a scripture, it ain't one person, it's let us. Let us go in his dwelling place. The second let us, let us worship at his footstool. The first let us is a call to assemble. It's a military cry for people to gather and arm themselves up. The second let us is a call to worship. The term dwelling place refers to a specific physical place, the temple or the church. It was a place of God's own choosing. You'll see that later. And the term at his footstool speaks of his sovereignty, but it implies a fixed place of reference. And for those people that say it ain't nothing to going to the physical building, I know that the physical building is not the church. But it's a place that the people of God, the people who make up the church, gather. Next, the right of thoughts moves from the place of worship to the person of worship. And before I get to the scripture, if you get the person of worship right, you'll be in the place of worship. If you get you a relationship with that person of worship, I ain't going to have to beg you to come to the place of worship. Verse 8. First word. Arise, O God, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and your saints shout for joy. Y'all ready for this? See, verse 8 illustrates acts of worship motivated by an attitude of seriousness. How serious are you about worship? And I'm speaking of at a specific place that's been designated for that. I'm talking about the physical building of coming together and worshiping. How serious are you about it? First thing that verse 8 starts out with is inviting the Lord into his place of worship. Well, a lot of y'all may say, well, look, no, this God's house, we don't have to invite him in. Some of you may be able to relate to this. If you ever bought your child a car, or maybe you are helping them out buying a house or an apartment, you don't go and knock the door down. You hope for an invitation to come 
to the place that you're paying the notes on. You, you, you would desire that they would give you a ride to the grocery store and the car you bought for them. Some of y'all can relate to that. Child go off to college and get the doctor's degree. You don't spend all that money, your life saving, to get them through it. And then when you in need, they ain't nowhere to be found. Arise! Oh Lord, this is this is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It does not mean to wake up. K it means to show up. The Hebrew word means to stir up something. It implies making yourself evident. If you have a bottle that says it was a Coca-Cola, it could be filled with tea. But one way you make sure that it's Coca-Cola, shake it up. And then open it up. It'll, it'll be evident whether it's the real thing or not. How do you tell the difference between a milkshake and just milk? See, if they make a very good milkshake, you can't use a straw. You got to get you a spoon. So, so it said, rise God, show up, and make your showing up evident that you know it's God. Verse 9 is the second act of worship, and it speaks, you like this, K, a proper and appropriate praise. It said the priests are to wear righteousness. Now, last time I checked, when you wear stuff, you put it on your body, the outside. This, this strikes at all the people say it's in my heart. Well, I mean that it can be clearly seen that you are in right standing with God. And it goes on to imply that the only way the leaders or the priests or the ministers is going to lead the people into worship, the people have got to see something in you. It bothers me when some people get emotional about stuff. And won't get emotional about the creator stuff. The third act of worship is a command. Now I want y'all to get this now. It's a command, not a suggestion. For the saints to shout for joy. Shout for joy is one word in the Hebrew language. But it's not the usual word for shout. The usual word in the Hebrew language is booyah. Some of y'all remember that. But this is a verb and it's reina. It means to rejoice excitingly or rejoice intensely, to shout loudly with joy. It is a 
reaction to something that has happened that's overwhelmingly wonderful. It's a word only used on special occasions. It was used in celebrating something that was serious. How many of y'all know anything about soccer or English football? Have you ever noticed when they score a goal? Man, they run all, you think our football players do something in end zone dance. You see somebody throw a, Scott, a, a soccer goal and they run it everywhere. In one of the Olympics, one young lady got famous because she made a goal. She took off her blouse and exposed her bra and she became a millionaire over that. But the point I'm saying is, that's what this word Renan means. It means to shout and show something with joy. It means to get crazy. But no, we too keep we too intelligent. I tell you what it's like. It's like you being eight years old, still believing in Santa Claus. And you've been wanting this special thing since you were six. And there you go, behold, under the tree, there it is. You don't say, oh, wow. You go absolutely bonkers. So based on that, the author makes a request in verse 10 and 11. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Verse 11, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body set on your throne. Verse 10 is a plea for God's spirit to remain with us through the worship service. Verse 11 is a reminder of God's promise. It includes or alludes to the coming of Jesus. But now the psalmist records God's promise to those who are serious about worship. Stay with me now. Don't miss this. But I want you to look at this when we read this promise. It's conditional. Verse 12. First word, if. If, if your sons keep my covenant, and we hear that this morning, for those that was in faith development, if you keep my covenant and my testimony that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion and has desired it for his dwelling place. Are y'all listening to me? You see, when we get serious about worship, God gets serious about us. I'm going to say that again. When we get serious about worship, God gets serious about us. God has chosen the people of Israel to be a special object of his love. But God also chose the place of worship where people were supposed to meet and honor him in worship. He said this, with the condition, if they will keep 
my covenant, I will. I will. I will what? You see, God is saying something to someone here today, and I don't know who it is. But he's saying, if you will, I will. Look at verse 14 with me now. Talking of the temple, this is my resting place forever. I will dwell, here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Says that God really wanted that place of worship. God wants a place where people can gather together to worship him. Verse 15, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy the poor with bread. Her priests will I clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn of sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointing. And verse 18, his enemy I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Y'all ready for it? In response to the psalmist to I will, y'all want to go back? I, I ain't going to satisfy my emotional needs. I ain't going to satisfy my physical needs until I get a place for you. In response to those two I will, God gives six I will. What's the deal? What's the deal? Here's what he said. I will dwell with you because that's my desire. He's saying, I want to be in your midst. I want to rise. I want to show up. I want to stir up. Number two I will. I will abundantly bless. I will provide your needs. I will give you bread. Number three, I will satisfy your spiritual and your physical hunger. And the fourth, I will, I will clothe, and that is covered with salvation. I will. Make them powerful. That's the horn. The horn represents powerful. And then I will clothe their enemies with shame. But you're going to get a crown. I pray about this and I wasn't going to do this today. I was going to wait until next Sunday because... It's closer to the date. This is my personal testimony. Fifteen years ago, on September the 13th, I went to the doctor with something that I thought was minor. In fact, he had told me and my wife, ain't nothing to this. It's benign. I can tell by I feel it. That was when, uh, after the first bout with cancer, I had a lump in the throat that they couldn't get the tube down during the surgery. Took a biopsy, and again, he said it wasn't nothing to it, but when I came back, he walks into the room and says, 
I ain't got some not so good news for you. Not only was the lump in my throat cancer, it was stage four cancer and aggressive. As I later approached surgery, I said, Lord, I'm going to be like Hezekiah on my axe for 15 more years. Have mercy on me. And the Lord did. See, I'm in my 15th year, and that's all mercy. But if I live to next month, I go from mercy to grace. So, 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 mercy, I should have died. Grace, I'm still alive. So you want to ask me why I'm serious about worship? And I am serious about you because God has given me that charge. So I will not be late for worship. I will not play hooky from worship. I will not cheat at worship. I will not cut classes of worship and I won't fall asleep in worship. Bottom line. This morning when Jeff was teaching the adult class, I don't know where it was because I came in on the part after my class. I heard him mention something about willpower. And he made this statement, you can't do it on your own. God is saying to someone today, you can't do it on your own. But if you will, I will. If you will ask me to save you, I will save you. If you ask me to deliver you, I will deliver you. But you got to get the mindset, I will not let my circumstances hinder me from worship. So I'm saying something about today. If your spiritual tank is near empty, run on fumes. Run on fumes. To God fear you up. Let us stand. Somebody here needs to say, I will not let shame, I will not let the fact that I feel I'm not ready hinder me from getting a blessing from God's I will. Remember, that was two for six. That, that, you know, the way I count that, that's, that's a fourfold. But you just got to trust it. 
that the warriors of the world take their positions. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.